Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome into the List Podcast brought to you by The Man Salon. Check our good friends out today and make sure you sign up at The Man Salon for your next haircut. It'll save you all kinds of time when it comes to getting that haircut. Check out our good friends at themansalon.net. Excited about our guest here today. Uh, I'm sporting the Minnesota t-shirt. We aren't going to talk Vikings, but we are going to talk Minnesota Twins here in just a second. Lavelle Neal joining us from the Star Tribune. We've done a lot of radio over the years, Lavelle, but it's good to see you, man. Thanks for coming on the pod today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a top 10 list and a top five list. This is what we always do on the list podcast. The top 10 list is going to be the top 10 Minnesota Twins of all time. And then the top five will be the top five worst MLB stadiums. Now, Lavelle covers the Twins, covers the Twin Cities. So he has sat in many of these press boxes. He has been to many of these stadiums and he's watched the Minnesota Twins for quite some time. Now, Lavelle, I always sort of have a rule on this show that nothing happened before 1985 because that's when I was born. But this list for me incorporates a lot of old school players. When you get into baseball, it's a little bit different than some of the other lists we do. So I think uh, some of the older folks that listen to this show will be proud of me for the names that I have on my list. But the floor is yours. Why don't you unveil your top 10? We'll go 10 through 6, then the floor will be mine, and then we'll get your 5 through 1. But who do you have sitting at 10 through 6 all-time Minnesota Twins? Yeah, this is actually tough uh, for me because I, I, uh, I, got a, I, got a, I got a bunch here right around 10 or 11 or 12 that you could argue – argue for any of them to be number 10 um and uh they're all pitchers actually i think they're all lefties i think camilo pasqual was a lefty maybe he wasn't but um i um i had a really tough time coming up with number 10 but i ended up airing to the guy who's in the hall of fame and that's the left-hander jim cott and i, I take him over johan santana and camilo pasqual jim cott of course the longevity 22 years uh what was a 14 15 gold gloves won 20 games multiple times um, had to wait for the veterans uh, committee to vote him in, but uh, he is definitely a Hall of Famer. So I went uh, Jim Cott in a 10-hole, uh, followed by Chuck Knobloch in the 9-hole. Oh, bit really? You got there. Chucky there at 9, huh, Lavelle? Yeah, Chuck gets in there. Chuck gets in there. The tally of work hit 341 one year. Um, you know, ended up as a as a, a great player in terms of war throughout his career. Went to New York and went, you know, went haywire with the throwing. <laughs> a bit, but he was a hell of a, a, a table setter when he was with the with the Twins, and you know was a big factor on that um, 1991 World Series team. So I went uh, Nobber nine. Uh, Kent Herbeck number eight uh, played his entire career with the Twins. Uh, was was on the 87 and 91 teams. Bloomington native, hometown hero, was on the 82 Twins team that lost 102 games, took their lumps, took their beatings, got slowly but uh, slowly but surely got better uh, and became um, uh, one of the beloved figures in town, great defensive player. Uh, and, you know, once again, played. Actually, the next three guys have all played their entire career with uh, the Twins because after Herbeck at uh, eight – I uh, have Tony Oliva at seventh, and okay, uh, how can you uh, how can you ignore Tony O? He blasted onto the scene with some of the, um, he his first three or four years of Major League Baseball looked like he was going to have a three thousand hit career, put up all kinds of numbers, uh, went from terrible to good defensively, yeah, uh, you know was an MVP threat, 
just the man. And then uh, after, I say that's number one, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Yeah, it's six. Uh, believe it or not, he also played his entire career with the Twins. Uh, people kind of overlooked that because he did have a proclivity to give up the occasional first inning leadoff home run. Um, but he um, he was there for some down years. Won twenty games one year. Um, pitched in some in some lean years for the Twins, but it was still around when the Twins turned turned things around in the 2000s and won six division titles. He was a factor in a lot of it. Uh, he was beloved. The only player I know who uh, had a state legislator uh, try to um, uh, present a bill in the legislature to help fund his co- next contract. Uh, of course, I'm calling it the Brad Racky bill by Phyllis Kahn. <laughs> Brad Racky is uh, my choice for six best Twins player ever. You know, and, and some of those names, man, I'm sure that Twins fans that are listening right now are just taken back uh, to some of those great moments from those players. And I, I had the same problem, too. You know, and usually with these lists, if you extend it out to 15, you're going to have problems with 15 uh, and, and getting into number 10. Because on the outside looking in for me was Brad Radke. Uh, on the outside looking in for me was Chuck Knobloch. I, I had those guys sort of on the outside looking in. Joe Nathan was another name that I had on the outside looking in. Uh, and the name that I came up with, number 10, was in your top 10 list there, and it is Kent Herbeck. And Lavelle, I'll tell you this, because when I was a kid, there were two players that I hated more than anyone in the entire baseball world. And they right. are number 10 and 9 on my list. And actually, number 9 should be higher on my list, but I am so biased against him. I'll explain in a second. But at number 10 was Kent Herbeck. And in my adult life doing radio here in Sioux Falls, I had hosted, I don't know, four or five events with Kent Herbeck. And the first event that I hosted with him as a lifelong Braves fan, I brought up him pushing Ron Gant off first base. And I can't tell you how many times since then <laughs> I've had text conversations or made Kent Herbeck relive that moment. He's like, oh, momentum carried him off. I just put my glove on him and I slightly swiped at him and he somehow fell <laughs> off of first base, right? So Kent has a different recollection of that, but he's one of my favorite people that I've ever had the opportunity to do events with. Um, just a beloved Twins uh, player, as you talked about, growing up there, uh, 293 home runs, over 1,000 RBIs. Uh, guy could get on base, 848 OPS. And you know, it was a part, as you mentioned, of the lean years and then the success winning the World Series in 87 and in 91. I have Kent Herbeck at number 10. And listen, I know on no one else's list is this guy going to be at number nine, but I almost want to take him off the list because he made me cry so much as a child. There is no way the hands of God did not pick him up by his shoulders and lift him high enough against that plexiglass to rob the Braves of that home run. Kirby Puckett is at nine, and I, 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 I it's, blasph- wow. and, and, <laughs> it's blasphemy, I know, considering the statistics, but damn it, it's my list, LaBelle, and I'm going to be biased here. Um, he, was, he was a brave killer in that seven-game series, man. We all know the home run. We all know the robbing of the home run. I still claim, like I said, there's no way that man could jump that high unless the hands of God helped him to, to jump up and catch that home run. Um, hey, he's with Chicago, man. He had hops. <laughs> I mean, dude, you being a Chicago guy, I know he's not going to be at number – I knew he was going to be at number nine on your list. And listen, I I, um, I wish in my adult life I would have been able to talk to Kirby Puckett and have that same relationship I have with Ken Herbeck because I'm, I'm sure I would have felt differently about him than I did as a kid. But, man, Ken Herbeck and Kirby Puckett made me cry as a child, so damn it, I'm not putting them any higher on my list. But Kirby's numbers, man, speak for themselves. 
one of the great twins of all time. Um, had all the all-star appearances. Um, you know, best season as a twin, 88, 24 home runs, 121 RBIs. Um, was always on base, batted over 300 as a twin, 450 walks. I mean, dude was, was amazing. I, again, he's higher up on my list because he made me cry. At number eight, I have Torrey Hunter, and I think it's because I lived through the Torrey Hunter years as a college student at the University of Minnesota and arguably, you know, just one of the most electrifying players in his prime could go up and, and snag those home runs. And um, I fell in love with the player, and that's probably more about him being a favorite of mine than his numbers being as good as some of the others on this list. But Torrey Hunter was special when they had that run in the mid-2000s at the plate in the field, had that electrifying smile, man, that everybody wanted to gravitate towards. I got Torrey at number number eight. Uh, I got Jim Cotton at number seven as well, man, in my top ten. You mentioned all the accolades. Had to wait so long to yeah. get into the Hall of Fame. But you listed off the stats. Dude was spectacular there on the mound. And then at number six, circle me Burt. Okay, I got Burt Blylevin at number six. Uh, also another guy that, you know, we all talk about having to wait so long to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, number 28, retired by the Twins, inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2011. 149, 38, uh, 138 uh, uh, win-loss record with Minnesota. The 3.28 ERA back in the day when the ERA mattered more to people than it does now, over 2,000 strikeouts. I got Burt Blylevin. And number six, and, and two stints with the Twins, for those who don't know, 1970 to 76, and then 85 right. to 88, a part of that 87 World Series. Lavelle, uh, other than Kirby, do you have any squalls with their hats, some of those guys? Uh, I think Toy's a little high just because of the 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 um, the magnitude of some of the players in front of him. Um, that's you know that's, that's your call there. Uh, of course, I'm a big Tory fan. I gave him a perfunctory vote for the Hall of Fame the first year he was uh, on the ballot, just to, just kind of a recognition uh, uh, of his career, um, you know, in that a lot of his success was after he left the twins because he actually got wiser, uh, after he left and batted 300 back to back years with the angels and with the tigers, um, before coming back to the twins for a year. But, you know, he's still a beloved figure in town. He was definitely a spiritual leader of the team. And, uh, it's cool that he's getting recognized. So, yeah, um, absolutely, man. All right. Who got five through one Lavelle? Five to one, four out of the five are Hall of Famers, and one should be a Hall of Famer eventually. Uh, number five, I have Burt Blylevin, who you mentioned. Um, of course, Burt uh, broke in in 1970. In fact, the first batter he faced, he was pitching, uh, I can't remember who was facing him. He may have been against the old Senators. And uh, he gave up a home run to the first batter he faced in the majors, which is, <laughs> which is uh, appropriate for him, you know, and Bill Rigney, the manager, came out and said, look, kid, that's not going to be the only home run you give up in your career. Just get over it. And uh, Burt went on to have a great career, 283 victories, 3,701 career strikeouts. Uh, just a fantastic uh, uh, career, and I'm glad he got his day in Cooperstown. Number four is Kirby Puckett, uh, m maybe the most beloved twin of all time for his infectious smile, for uh, the way that people gravitated toward him. Uh, you know, game, game six is forever called in the 91 World Series, the Puckett game. Oh. My boy's back. You know, let me carry you. And then, uh, yeah, he uh, stole the, the hip from Ron Gann, I believe. In, uh, it was Ron Gann. Ron Gann made all kinds of appearances with the two guys that I hate the most when yeah. I was a kid and Ken Herbeck getting pushed him off first base and then that home run. And the thing about it, too, was, like, if you watch Ron Gant's expression on that home run, like, yeah, he was disappointed, but, but he – I, I don't think he was as shocked as maybe the fans were because 
he knew how good Kirby was, man. We lost Lavelle Neal. We're going to get him back. He'll reconnect. I thought we were going to come back on. I thought we were frozen. I thought we were going to get back Lavelle Neal. He'll come back in a second. I promise you that. That's what happens when you talk about Kirby Puckett in such glorying ways on my podcast, all right? I cut you off, man. That's what happens. This podcast brought to you by Bookmaker, our good friends down there, bookmaker underscore EU on Twitter, bookmaker.eu. Sign up today, and you can get a $100 free play by mentioning Via Twitter, just shoot him a message. Say, hey, I signed up via the List Podcast. We'll give you a $100 free play just for signing up. No deposit needed. Easy deposits, easy payouts. Hit them up there, and you can have $100 on us. Check out bookmaker.eu. Sign up today and get winning. Man, they got all kinds of odds for futures and NFL and Major League Baseball and the NBA, college basketball, all of it. Get great, easy payouts, awesome bonuses. Check out our friends. At Bookmaker. Literally, I was just sitting there waiting for, for Lavelle to come back. I'm going to get him back, right? This is how we do it on the show. Uh, I'll have him reconnect now. He says, hold on. He's coming back. No problem, Lavelle. This is what this is why podcasts are so fun. They don't worry about it, man. Uh, so what I'm going to do. I'm going to text him back right now. We'll get him back on the show. Uh, we'll get the rest of it here. Uh, he'll reconnect, and uh, we'll be ready to go. By the way, Bookmaker, Mansalon, great sponsors of the show. Check him out. Uh, we'll, we'll get uh, LaFell Neal back on here in a second. It's just like live radio, though, right? Like a live radio, boom, guy gets disconnected. Jeff turned filibusters for a while. Whether that's on national radio, local radio, uh, I can handle it. No problem. Again, my my top six, our top five, are, are going to look a little different than LaFell's. Um, as we were getting into Kirby, he had Kirby Puckett there at number four. My 10 through six was Ken Herbeck at 10, Kirby Puckett at nine, bias as heck. Tory Hunter at eight, Jim Cott at seven, Burt Blylevin at six. I can't wait to unveil my top five. I think we're going to probably be very similar on our on our top two. Uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, and then when, when he connects back on after we get done with talking about the top ten twins of all time, we're going to get to the top uh, five worst MLB stadiums of all time. Uh, Lavelle, no problem, man. We got you back. And I was telling the people there, I didn't shut it off. I didn't stop the podcast. I told him it's because you were talking so glowingly about Kirby Puckett that we cut you off. <laughs> no, it's it because I pulled the plug out of the laptop. <laughs> man, been there, done that, man. Been there, done that. Uh, but but continue your thoughts there on Kirby. You talked about game six, but overall his career, just amazing as a Minnesota twin. Absolutely. You know, and uh, he was beloved by everybody. I mean, he was uh, other players just had a lot of respect and had a great time with him. They would flock to his eight ball tournament to raise money for charity. Uh, you know, just all around, you know, a uh, fun guy to be around. Yeah, he had some issues later on in his career and post post baseball, but uh, I think people remember him the most what he did when he was in the uniform. So, uh, and when I, he had uh, the 
when he had the eye issue, like how much more of his prime did he have left at that point? Well, you got to remember that year in spring training, he was destroying the baseball. Um, he was hitting rockets all over Fort Myers, Florida. It was ridiculous. And it was Paul Molitor's first year with the Twins. And if you remember in 1996, both Molitor and Knobloch bat at 341 each. Molitor had his 3,000th hit of his career. Um, and uh, Puckett was going to be in the middle of that. Kirby would have drove, driven at 130 runs that year, uh, batting you know near or around Knobloch and Molitor. So um he was just like 36 i believe when uh when right. his career ended and uh he 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 probably had another three four years he was 35 last year was 35 so he was going to be 36 in 1996 conceivably could have played till he's 39 or 40 um and probably would have had 3,000 hits by then so it was def- definitely a loss so yeah kirby was my pick uh and number for, four uh, number four all, overall uh number three overall now we're getting into some high cotton here. all right all right um, um, number three, I went with Joe Maurer, uh, arguably the you know, most popular athlete in the history of Minnesota sports. Uh, people knew about him as his sophomore year in high school because he was doing everything well. He was playing football well, basketball well, and definitely baseball. Um, he did things in Major League Baseball that no catcher ever did. Um, he was the first American League catcher to win a batting title. He ended up winning three uh, batting titles. He was an MVP in 2009, the one year he hit like 28 homers and found some power. Um, and he was known for controlling the running game. And his career basically was in two parts. It was the catching part for 10 years, and then the first base part uh, for five years. And if you, if you read the Star Tribune on Sunday, pointing out that this week was like the 10th year anniversary of when he got the Ike Davis foul ball off his face mask, which uh, led to him having to change positions. So, um, but, uh, you know, there's a guy who, you know, was just a, one of the top offensive catchers in the game during his hey, heyday behind the plate. And um, he is fourth all time in war in the uh, Twins Senators franchise records. If you um, want to uh, take that into consideration, so that hey, so means- so Lavelle, real quick, uh, you know there was this narrative that he was his contract wasn't good at the end, or he was getting overpaid, comparable to everything else, and it was holding the Twins back. What you what you make of that narrative? Well, I just thought it was unfortunate, and it, it's weird. The Twins have had some real bad luck. If you think about this, after they won the World Series in '91. In 92, they had that damn Eric Fox homer by the uh, the ace that kind of sounds spiraling out of the playoff race. Herbeck retires kind of suddenly after 1994 when he had um, – he, he still had a few years left in the tank, but you know he was beat up and he wanted to uh, spend time with his family. Puckett's eye problem hits in the uh, spring training in 1996. So you had like a bunch of factors here. Now you get later on here. You have Justin Morneau's career being altered by a concussion. He was on his way to having a Killebrewian-type season until he got neat in the head in Toronto trying to break up a double play. And then you have Maurer getting his concussion, which severely uh, altered his career. It's unfortunate for the franchise that these things have happened. Um, but, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to say the guy's not earning his contract when he had a serious injury that, that altered the course of his career. When Morneau had his concussion, he went from being a power-hitting run producer to being, you know, um, a singles hitter or a guy who was just making contact and not trying to drive the ball or or put up big numbers. And I asked him, I said, well, did you think you had uh, achieved uh, – do you think a comeback was complete when you uh, won the batting title with the Rockies? He says, no, because I wasn't the player I wanted to be, you know. And Meyer wasn't the player that he wanted to be either. It wasn't his choice. Foul ball found him. He wasn't looking for the foul ball. So it's kind of hard for me to argue that a guy didn't um, uphold the terms of his contract when 
he wasn't the same person he was when he signed that contract. So that's a great that's point I I, on the Maurer thing. I, I agree a lot with that, man. What do you got at two and one then? Number two and one is pretty easy. Um, hit some of the highest home runs I've ever seen a human being hit. Shook his hands once. I like my hand just got enveloped inside of his. His hands were so big and <laughs> had probably the neatest handwriting of any athlete I've ever seen. Uh, it's Harmon Killebrew, uh, 573 homers. And yes, um, he made a big deal of signing autographs. He wanted his, his autograph to be perfect. He said, if it wasn't perfect, then some kid's going to just start throwing it around in the backyard. It's going to be all beat up and not worth keeping. Uh, he was like, make the, the balls a keepsake for these kids. So, and he would, uh, he would, lecture michael kadire and other twins about the quality of their handwriting and their signatures so their autographs are better so but on the field i mean you know he was a powerhouse 40 plus homers yearly uh was part of the great twins teams in the 60s played in the 65 world series and definitely is a member of the hall of fame as well so had to go with killer brew number two and that means that leaves one person at number one and uh in the terms of the best twins ever and that is the left-handed hitting second baseman rock Carew, who was born in panama Won multiple batting titles, made a run at 400 one year. Um, definitely had well over 3,000 hits in his career. Um, was a hitting machine for the Twins and then for the Angels, and and just uh, you know arguably one of the greatest uh, uh, Twins ever. You could argue because of longevity. I think Killebrew may have played more years than Carew uh, here. I had to look look that up to be sure. You could argue that Carew should be number one, but I went with uh, Carew number one over Killer just because of um some of the stuff he did uh yeah um yeah uh 11 years for career 13 for i believe that's what it was for uh 11 years yeah a couple more years for for killabrew than career yes yes and it depends if you want to because he also played the first what six years with washington and the senators before they moved over i don't know if you want to count those either but uh yeah it's a little bit different that you could argue that killabrew should be one and crew two maybe uh i decided to go with crew all right, man. So at number five, again, this goes back to my biased nature of the mid 2000s. Um, I got Johan Santana at number five on my list. Um, the most dominant Twins pitcher uh, uh, that I remember watching, I mean, 2000 to 2007. And then he goes to the Mets, and it's a totally different story. But I remember, was it a Lamborghini that he'd pull up to the, to the metronome with? Whatever that bright colored car was that he had. I just remember seeing him pull up and like he had the flash. Um, 93 and 44 with the 3.22 ERA as a twin. Oh, four dude was just, I mean, that was my, that was my second year in Minnesota had that 2.61 ERA won 20 games that season. Um, just absolutely spectacular. And, uh, again, um, you know, being someone that, uh, loved, you know, loved the Braves, but fell in love going to twins games and watching them in the two thousands. I'd go hand at number five uh, at number three, I have Tony Oliva, Another guy that I've gotten to know in my adult life, uh, when I come up as a local radio host, you know, the last 10 years and would do my show in, in target field, um, I get to go into the Spanish booth and sit in the same seat as Tony Oliva did for the broadcast and do my show before the games would start. And I, I, I got to know Tony O because one of my fill-in producers in Sioux Falls, um, his, his cousin is married to Tony Oliva a South Dakota girl marrying Tony Oliva, right? Like you can't, you, you couldn't have ever thought about that. You know, That's you, you would have never, yeah, growing up as Tony Oliva, you never thought he'd marry someone from South Dakota, right? Uh, but he did it. And so uh, the person is just a nice guy, man. And the player was spectacular. Um, he was, he was just, he was amazing, man. And and for someone like myself who really said nothing happened before 85, someone that played in the sixties and seventies to make, 
number uh, four on my list is pretty huge. At number three, same spot you had him, man. I got Joe Maurer at number three. Few quick stories about Joe Maurer in my life. Um, number one, we're about the same age, so uh, watching him sort of do things at at 22 and 24 while I was just drinking beer and watching sports was amazing to me, man. Um, number two, my wife always told me if she could marry Joe Maurer or be with Joe Maurer, she would leave me in a second, okay? So um, that was another funny joke we had. And we love Joe Maurer so much that my middle child's name is actually Maurer, okay? We have a Maurer living in our house. He's a kindergartner, and it's Maurer Levi Turn. We I'm named sure our you're not kid. the only one. Not the only one, man. We named our middle <laughs> child after our, we also have a Griffey and we have a Beckham, okay, Lavelle. So we have all kinds of sports names in our house. Uh, Tim but, Beckham, Gordon Beckham. Uh, no, it'd be, it'd be, uh, <laughs> he thinks he's named after Odell, but my wife says he's named after David. Okay, so that's how that goes in our house. Uh, but but just what a great ambassador for the state of Minnesota for the Minnesota Twins. You know, never any controversy with Joe Maurer, right? Like came to work and then he came to work as one of the best players in the game. So unfortunate you mentioned about the foul ball off his face mask. But um, he he just continued to go to work. And I thought that narrative was always dumb about the contract because he meant so much more than maybe the dollars to that organization. And then, as you mentioned, doing the things offensively that catchers had never done before was, was why I put him at number three. I, and at two and one, I have the same two names as you do. You mentioned the stats, but I just have them flipped. I had Rod Carew at two and Harmon Killebrew at one. I have no problem if 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 you flip them. Um, I they, agree. Yeah, they were just you know we could flip a coin, and every day we could make an argument why one was one and and the other was two. Man, so I absolutely love Harmon Killebrew and Rod Carew. I have Rod Carew at number two and Harmon Killebrew at number one. But I weigh the car that Johan Santana drove was a BMW. It was like a was it? it was like a 733i, whatever. Um, because he and Carlos Silva both bought matching BMWs the same year and like had them down in spring training. And one was like orange, one was like yes. uh, purple or something. Yeah, I think you know, the orange one was Santana, the purple one was yeah. was the other. But I, I remember yeah. seeing those when they'd like pull up at the metro. There weren't other cars like that pulling up to the metronome, man. Like that they were just different, no. man. They were different. I remember those days back in college. All right, Lavelle, those were our top 10 twins. Let's get to some fun stuff here with the worst stadiums in Major League Baseball. We just have a top five list for that. That's Lavelle Neal from the Star Tribune, startribune.com. You can read his work there. I am Jeff Turn, uh, never a journalist, only a gas bagger. You can find me on Twitter at JTESPN. Uh, brought to you by Bookmaker, bookmaker.eu. Also by our good friends at the Man Salon. Um, you're gonna you you may have a stroke when I tell you a couple of these on my list, man. Uh, but but I'm gonna let you go first. Give me five through three, and then we'll get two through one. Who do you have at five through three? Five through three in terms of worst stadiums. Well, uh, the worst one, the the fifth worst. Oh, fifth worst is. Uh, make sure I got it numbers correctly. Um, believe it or not. Um, the Washington National Stadium does nothing for me. It is drab. Okay. It is dreary. It's basic. There's no frills. Uh, it's hard to get to. The press box isn't all that great. They get you stacked up in there like sardines. Um, <laughs> I, I just, you know, the, the, the press box facilities end up going to be a ends up being a a, a determining factor for me in a lot sure. of decisions. Yeah. But um, yeah. never been a big fan uh, of Washington Stadium and of all the new stadiums. I've been uh, I've been to all of them except the new one in Texas and the new one in in uh, in Atlanta. Uh, other than that, I mean, that place is not done it for me. Uh, number four um, is um, 
is maybe the worst built new stadium in the history of new stadiums, but the Miami Marlins Stadium is horrible with that terrible roof. They, they thank God they got the artwork out out of uh, <laughs> yeah. out of the outfield. But man, let me were, tell you, were, were you there for the All Star game? Uh, no, I was there for two twin series there. Okay. I was there in a series that uh, Buxton tore up his shoulder running oh. and trying to catch a ball. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there the day after they traded for Sam Dyson, which ended up being a mess. Uh, but uh, yeah, that day was nothing. And on the inside, it just looks like it was cheap and thrown together quickly. I just, I, I'm just very disappointed. And uh, and what they do with that stadium, and I it's in the middle of like a very rough neighborhood. Like you go there, it's there, there's nothing mm-hmm. around it to go do uh, or anything like that. I was there for the All Star game and been to another game since. But yeah, man, it's it, it makes my list as well. But yeah, that, that's a that's a tough spot. Yeah, um, n- number three is a tough one for me, um, just because you know we're in this area now. All these stadiums are relatively new, so it's kind of hard to to bash on stadiums that that are are, are relatively new. Um, and it's also hard for me to judge Dodger Stadium, Wrigley Field, and Fenway Park. I think those are like in a separate category, like they are like museums or you know landmarks for baseball. You know, so uh, it's hard for me to go that direction. But I will put uh, my hometown Chicago White Sox park <laughs> in, in that spot. <laughs> um, Jerry Reinsdorf had the opportunity. Uh, to build Camden Yards, a similar uh, stadium, similar to Camden Yards. He said, no, I wanted to look more like Yankee Stadium. Well, Yankee Stadium is built so 50,000 people go there every day. You know, uh, there's nothing, there's no frills with it. And they just built a basic stadium. It was new, but it was basic, had no frills except for the exploding scoreboard. And the only reason yeah. they had dabs because Reinstorf know people were going to burn it down if they didn't have the exploding scoreboard brought over from Oak Comiskey. Um, you know, They've improved in recent years. They've done a lot of work to take out seat, rows of seats and add some bells and whistles. And um, their concession game is pretty strong. But, you know, um, I'm also biased because they kicked the media out of the press box um, uh, and moved us down the right field line. I'm closer to the foul pole now than I am home plate, you know, which is a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got White Sox three, and I should have included Anaheim, too, because they're pretty bad, too. And they also kicked us out of the out of the press box. And, That's and our, bogus. And now where we sit at in the press box in Anaheim, um, the sun sets in the west. So like the first three innings of the game, the sun right is just directly in your face. You can't see anything. You yeah, know? man, so, that's no, that's no good. So you, you brought up Dodger Stadium, Wrigley Field, and Fenway as yeah. museums. But listen, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a new school guy. Uh, I have Fenway at number five. I'm not a fan of old school stadiums, Lavelle, to be honest with you. And, you know, the green monster, I don't know, it just doesn't do it for me. Like, I'd like to sit up there one time and watch a game, but, like, I don't know, man, hitting a ball off of a wall just doesn't do it for me, man. So, like, I don't like the aesthetics of the stadium. The thing's old. You look at the seats that they show, and it looks like something you'd see at, like, your local Legion game, man. Like, they don't even, like, upgrade some of that stuff, and they tell me it's about history in a museum. I can't buy into it. I got Fenway at number four. I mean, number five. Man, I got Wrigley Field at number four. All right, wow. and this there, there, yeah, buddy. Let me tell you now. I've done radio with Sarah Spain from Chicago, Mike Will, Wilbon. I've done it radio with a bunch of people, and I've told them this, and they've all looked at me like I was a moron. Not the first time, and it won't be the last. But I, I'll tell you this: I've been to Wrigley a handful of times as a kid, as an adult, and I've never been impressed. The best part of Wrigley is what happens outside of Wrigley at the bars and everything that goes on in Wrigleyville. The other thing that doesn't do it for me, and I know that they've changed this, but I went, I don't know, probably eight years ago to a game before they did the renovations. 
and I'm sitting in the bathroom. I'm standing in the bathroom, staring another man directly in his eyes as we are urinating in a circular trough. And I said at that point, this is not for me, man. So, and plus, plus, you're sitting there in those old seats, man, and I'm all uncomfortable watching a team I don't care about. Wrigley Field is number four. You know what? Tear it down and build a new one, and that about makes Chicagoans uh, have a heart attack, man. I think um, the Ricketts family was able to uh, – the Ricketts family were able to build a new stadium. They probably would have by now. But yeah. it's weird because they can't find a spot to put it in, and the, the residents want Wrigley Field there, so they're kind of trapped there, you know. But right. I will say this. I'm a nostalgia guy. When you walk into places like Wrigley and Fenway Park, and you get there at 2.30 in the afternoon before a 7 o'clock game, you can hear the ghosts have a conversation. And I think that's <laughs> pretty go. cool when you get there. There you go, man. I will say this. Um, I, I always make the argument people tell me you can't tear down Fenway, you can't tear down Wrigley. They tore down Yankee Stadium and turned it into a parking lot. If you can do that to where there was all that history, you can do it to somewhere else. Now, I'll tell you what, man, I've sat in those cushioned seats at, at Yankee Stadium, man. I like those things, man. I'm not going to lie. Um, I know people get mad that it's not the same old Yankee Stadium. doesn't have that same feel in the Bronx, but I always make that argument. And number three, you mentioned it. I have Lone Depot Stadium, which is the Miami Marlins Stadium. I was there for the All-Star game. Felt like I was in like a – uh, a metal warehouse, man. It just, it felt weird. Uh, I was there for the home run derby and the all-star game, seeing the best players in the game. And it still didn't feel like an awesome place. I have them at number three. All right. Who do you got at two and one? Two and one. Um, I will say this, this one stadium, the one redeeming quality they had until they got rid of it. They used to have a cigar lounge in the stadium. We so know I you love your cigars. I would show that. I would show up early and get my work, work done early and I'd probably sit for the first two or three innings in the cigar lounge watching the game and having a stogie. Then I would return to the press box uh, to cover the rest of the game. Other than that, um, this city probably did as much as it could to make to polish a turd as they could because uh, this stadium definitely is one, and that is uh, Tropicana Field in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, home of the Rays. Um, I can't believe that's the stadium they built, they built in order to attract the team. That was going to be the stadium the White Sox are going to play in if they moved there. Uh, I think it was going to be called the Sun Coast Dome or something like that. Um, but uh, it looks like it looks like a uh, it looks like someone had just knocked the stilts from under a, a silo and it's like tilted over on its side, you know. And there's nothing on the inside either. They've dressed it up as much as they could have with bells and whistles and paint and things like that. It is just a dreary, sad stadium in a state like Florida, in which college baseball and amateur baseball is huge. Uh, they deserve to have a better ballpark to watch games in. All right, what's number one? Uh, there's only one. This place has insects. It has infestations. Uh, sewer lines have broken. Dugouts have flooded during games. Clubhouses have flooded. Uh, we, some of us get locked inside at times because the, the the night watchman wants to go home, so you lock us in the stand, so we have to like have someone get up out of their house to come let us out so we can go home. Um, and that is uh, Oakland, the Oakland A Stadium. I don't know what it's called now. It was called. It was called. I think it's just all the Coliseum still, isn't it? Yeah, called, yeah. They, but they probably don't have naming rights. It's it's a dump, and it's not all their fault. Um, uh, 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 Davis, um, the owner of Al uh, Davis, Oklahoma, Al Davis, owner of the Raiders, destroyed that stadium when he moved his team there. And they built that ridiculous uh, crap in center field so they could have extra seats for football. It took away the charm, the beauty, and um, baseball's carrying out of the stadium. Uh, just, 
just just ruined the ballpark. And it's gotten old. The A's have been bickering for years to try to get a stadium, and now they're moving to L.A. It's a sad story, actually, because the once proud, hardworking, blue-collar city of Oakland used to have, you know, this the Golden State Warriors and the A's and the Raiders now have nothing. Yeah, um, Raiders and A's off to Vegas, man. Yeah, that's crazy. Two of them it's off crazy. to Vegas, and the Warriors got a glitzy new stadium in San Francisco. I feel bad for the city, but there had to be some mismanagement. Uh, someone's got some explaining to do in Oakland and let that thing deteriorate the way it has. Smart minds think alike, man, because I, I, I've been to the trap one time, thought the same thing. Uh, absolute, you know, putting lipstick on a pig. It's just, it's an ugly stadium. It's terrible. I've been at number two. And then, dude, like, I'm with you. I've never been to the Oakland Coliseum. I drove by it when I was out there for the Super Bowl years ago. No. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you right now, everything you just said is everything I've heard from everyone that's been in a game. We've seen the images of it, you know, one-third full. There's a reason why they're going to Vegas, but number one is the Oakland Coliseum on my list as well. If the Metrodome was still intact and there wasn't target field, would the Metrodome a major top five worst stadiums right now? Possibly. I think I would have had it worse than Washington Stadium for sure. Um, okay. They probably would be uh, I had it worse than Washington. Uh, don't know if I had worse than Anaheim. Although I would probably had Ana- Anaheim worse than – the Metrodome, just because because it's an outdoor stadium, and the fact that it's a crummy outdoor stadium is even worse than it being a crummy indoor stadium to me. Yeah, I agree. So I, I agree. Probably, I probably would have had it right behind Anaheim. Yeah, man. I I mean, those games they had great home field advantage, but and I don't mind watching football games in October, uh, not freezing my butt off. Uh, so I didn't mind that either. But we all know, man, you were you were shuffled in by the air, you were shuffled out by the air, and there was everything else that came along with those narrow corridors and everything else at the Metrodome, man. Lavelle Neal, Star Tribune, man, this was a blast. Thanks so much for doing this with me and hanging out on this podcast today, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. I can't wait to listen to this to see how wacky it was. It was great, man. Another list podcast has concluded as another page has turned here on the show. Thanks to Bookmaker and the Man Salon. Until next time, y'all, be well. Thanks for hanging out.